Hello and welcome back to F1 Rewind, the podcast where we delve into the Formula 1 archives to bring you the stories and events which happened on each day in motorsport history. Hello everyone, it's finally the end of January, which means it's not long until the car launches and winter testing and the start of the 71st Formula 1 season. But in the meantime, I'm back with more tales from the F1 archives. The 31st of January is the day on which Guy Fawkes was executed in 1606, the day that George Harrison's My Sweet Lord reached number one in the UK in 1971, and the day on which Family Guy first aired on Fox in 1999. It's also the day that two F1 drivers turned Le Mans winners were born, the day a motorcycling legend switched two wheels for four, and the day on which a driver appeared in court over a nightclub incident. But before all of that, back to George Harrison. Did you know that the former Beatle had a song inspired by Formula One? His song Faster, taken from his self-titled 1979 album, is inspired by the 1977 Formula One season, a year in which he travelled the world with the sport. Harrison had struck up friendships with drivers such as Nicky Lauda, Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart on his trips around the world. Jackie Stewart actually appears in the music video for Faster, in which he chauffeurs Harrison around Monaco in a limousine in scenes shot over the 1979 Monaco Grand Prix weekend. In the UK, the song was released as a single, and the accompanying picture disc featured the faces of previous world champions. Money from sales of the single went towards a cancer fund, which was set up following the death of Swedish driver Gunnar Nilsson in 1978. Alright, that's enough Beatles chat for one day. On with today's show. First up today, Bill Cantrell, who was born on the 31st of January 1908. Nicknamed Wild Bill and born in Kentucky, Cantrell was better known for being a speedboat racer, for which he was inducted into the Motorsport Hall of Fame of America in 1992. But Cantrell also made one appearance in a World Championship race at the 1950 Indianapolis 500. The 34th running of the event was the first to count towards the World Championship of Drivers. It had been expected that as a result more European drivers would enter the event, but that proved not to be the case. The eventual 1950 world champion Giuseppe Farina had intended to enter, but his car never arrived. For Cantrell, this was his third appearance at the event, having raced in 1948 and 1949. He failed to finish in either of those races. He shared the drive in 1950 with Bayliss Leverett, but the car would fail to finish again. Cantrell would go on to enter the 1952 event, but he failed to qualify. Also born on this day was Joe Bonnier. Born in 1930, Bonnier is one of only three Swedish drivers to have won a Grand Prix. He was also a skilled linguist and was fluent in no less than six languages. Prior to his motorsport career, Bonnier spent a year at Oxford University studying languages. Having started competitive racing on a Harley Davidson motorcycle at the age of 17, Bonnier gained his reputation in ice racing before moving into circuit racing and making his Formula 1 debut in 1956. 
He rested in the spot for 16 seasons, but only finished on the podium once, and that was when he won the 1959 Dutch Grand Prix. His was the first of 17 victories for the BRM team. Off track, Bonnier played a key role in the Grand Prix Drivers Association. He took over as chairman of the GPDA in 1963. Under his chairmanship, the drivers boycotted both the 1968 Belgian Grand Prix and the 1970 German Grand Prix due to safety concerns. Away from F1, Bonnier made 13 appearances at the 24 Hours of Le Mans and only finished the race once, scoring second place with co-driver Graham Hill in 1964. It was at the Le Mans event in 1972 that Bonnier would lose his life. Following a collision with a Ferrari, he catapulted over the barriers and into the trees and was killed instantly. Ernesto Brambilla was born on this day in 1934. Known as Tino, he was the older brother of race winner Vittorio Brambilla. Just like Joe Bonnier, Tino started racing on two wheels before switching to four in the 60s, but his career was somewhat less successful than his brother's. He entered two Grand Prix, both in Italy in 1963 and 1969. For the first, he failed to qualify in a Cooper, setting a lap time which was 13 seconds off the pace. He was entered into the 1969 Italian Grand Prix with Ferrari, but didn't start as his place was taken by Mexican star Pedro Rodriguez. Like his brother, Tino was known for being a hard racer, and while he had success in F2 machinery, he was never given a real chance in F1. He was a controversial racer at times, his F2 win in Hockenheim in 1968 came under scrutiny for the way in which he barged his rivals out of the way. He retired from racing in 1973. Next up, Mauro Baldi was born on this day in 1954. The Italian driver had a glittering junior career, including winning the 1980 Monaco F3 race by 47 seconds. Baldi moved to F1 for 1982 and raced with Arrows, picking up two points by finishing sixth in both the Dutch and Austrian Grand Prix. He moved to Alfa Romeo for the following season and picked up a further three points with a career-best finish of fifth at Zandvoort. Alfa Romeo became sponsored by Benetton in 1984 and Baldi lost his drive as a result. To stay in F1, he went to the underfunded Spirit team, finishing just four races in the season. Baldi retired from the first three races of the 1985 season and retired from F1 as the team folded. He went on to have a successful sports car career and is one of only 12 drivers to have taken Endurance Racing's Triple Crown. He did so by winning the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1994 and then going on to win the 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring, both in 1998. Born on this day in 1966 was Jerky Avaletto, better known as JJ Letta, who competed in F1 from 1989 to 1994. Such was his high rate of did not qualifies and did not finishes with the uncompetitive Onyx team in the first years of his career, he scored his best result, a third place finish, on only the second occasion that he didn't retire from a race. That was with the Scuderia Italia team at the 1991 San Marino Grand Prix. Three years later at Imola, Leto was involved in an incident at the start of the 1994 race. His stalled Benetton was hit by Pedro Lamy, sending debris flying into the crowd. 
The Finn was also one of the Sauber team's original drivers when they made their debut back in 1993. He scored an impressive 5th place finish on the team's debut at the South African Grand Prix. He returned to the Sauber team for the final two races of his career at the end of the 1994 season. Leto's career was guided by Keke Rosberg, and it was he who suggested that Leto should shorten his name to JJ, in a similar way to how he had shortened his own name to Keke. After his F1 career, Leto went on to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans twice, in 1995 and again 10 years later, in 2005. Harry Blanchard died on this day in 1960. Just over a month prior to his death, the American driver made his only Formula 1 appearance at the first ever United States Grand Prix in F1 history at Sebring in December 1959. He was invited to the race basically in order to make up the numbers. Driving a privately entered Porsche, Blanchard qualified in 16th place and was one of only six cars running at the end of the Grand Prix. He finished four laps down on the race winner, Bruce McLaren. Blanchard met his fate at the wheel of the same Porsche on this day in 1960, when his sports car overturned in the face and Buenos Aires 1000km race. On to the headlines from this day in history, and first up we have tales of black boxes and airbags. One idea that actually happened, and one that definitely didn't. First up, the one that did. It was on this day in 1996 that the FIA announced it would trial using black boxes in Formula 1 cars, similar to those used in aviation, in order to understand accidents better. It was one of the steps taken to improve safety in the aftermath of the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix weekend. And one year later, the devices became mandatory on Formula 1 cars. And to the wise idea that didn't happen, airbags. Yep, that's right, on this day in 1998, the idea of airbags in Formula 1 cars was being discussed by the FIA. It's difficult to really understand why or how an airbag in an F1 car would be useful. These days, the drivers are at very little risk of hitting their head on any part of the car in an impact, but it's worth bearing in mind that this idea came about before the hands device was introduced. Speaking about the idea, the technical chief of the FIA at the time said that airbags would have to be more sophisticated than in mass-produced cars, and I quote, because we can't have them going off unexpectedly. Amazing. Formula One is often referred to as a millionaire's playground, and Williams decided to take the playground bit literally in 2002, as they announced a new partnership with Lego. It was part of a new three-year deal, which would see Williams' 2002 car transformed into a LEGO toy as part of their LEGO Races series. The partnership was designed to give children an educational insight into the inner workings of engineering and design within Formula 1. Now, if you have the LEGO version of the Williams car and you manage to put it together, please do get in touch and send a photo of it. Thank you in advance. Another piece of Williams history happened on this day in 1997. The 31st of January saw the launch of the FW19. It remains Williams' last title-winning car to date, and the last of their cars to be designed by Adrian Newey. It was also their final car to be powered by Renault until 2012. According to an ITV news report from the time, the car was finished at 2am on the day of its launch. 
And that's not the only car launched on this day. In fact, the 31st of January has been a very popular day for car launches in the past. Among them are Williams in 2005, Renault in 2006, 2008 and 2011, McLaren in 2013, Sauber in 2010 and 2011, Team Lotus in 2011 and Toro Rosso in 2015. Another car launch on this day was Jordan's 2000 machine, launched in the Theatre Royal in London's Drury Lane. At the event, the inimitable team owner Eddie Jordan was left speechless, when Michael Aspel appeared with a big red book. If you're not British, Michael Aspel appearing with a big red book probably sounds like there was some weird guy doing a weird protest. But no, EJ was to be featured on the long-running TV show This Is Your Life. Now, if you fancy watching that episode of This Is Your Life, you can find it on YouTube, and it's an absolute treat. It's complete with Irish dancing and occasional spoon-playing. Oh, and also, look out for a lovely jumper worn by everyone's favourite moustache, Nigel, Nigel Mansell. At the same launch event, EJ talked about Formula One's calendar, and presented his view that there should be the return of a Grand Prix in Africa. He also said that F1 should explore opportunities in China and India, which it of course later did, with varying levels of success. There's another great quote from Eddie in this interview. Talking about the calendar and its demand on the teams, he said, I think 17 is absolutely pushing it right to the limits. That was Irish, by the way. If 17 is the absolute limit, I wonder how the Jordan team would have coped with a 22 race calendar. Peter Sauber's been at it again. Last week we heard his idea of F1 changing its point scoring system to that used in the American Kart series, and he's now come up with another solution to move his Sauber team further up the grid. On this day in 2003, our old friend Pete was asked about cost cutting in F1, and came up with the idea that the series should have a one-make chassis. Maybe his team was just in the wrong championship. On this day in 2006, MotoGP ace Valentino Rossi had his first public test in a Formula 1 car in Valencia. It's fair to say that the day didn't quite go as planned. Driving Ferrari's 2004 car, he spun on his first lap and ended up in the gravel. He did much better on the next day though, setting the ninth fastest time in a field of 15 F1 regulars. However, Rossi was using the 2004 car, while the others were using the current 2006 machinery, which had V8 power compared to his V10 power. Ferrari did, however, say that they limited the engine in their car so that it performed at the same level as a V8. At the time, it was rumoured that Rossi was being lined up to take Michael Schumacher's seat at the end of 2006, but the Italian never made the switch from two wheels to four. Nicky Lauda gave a frank assessment of Nelson Piquet Jr.'s F1 hopes on this day in 2008, saying that the Brazilian had no chance. OK, maybe the straight-talking Austrian wasn't being quite that harsh. His comments were actually in relation to Piquet beating Fernando Alonso in their first season together as teammates. As it turns out, Lauda was absolutely right. Alonso picked up 61 points that year with two victories, while Piquet scored 19 points, including taking the runner-up spot in the German Grand Prix. He also retired nine times, including his unfortunate uh, accident at the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. 
On this day in 2012, Adrian Sutil was found guilty of causing grievous bodily harm. The incident had happened after the 2011 Chinese Grand Prix in a nightclub at a party celebrating Lewis Hamilton's victory. Eric Lux, the co-founder of Genie Capital, the company who owned the Lotus Renault team at the time, needed 24 stitches after being struck in the neck with a broken champagne glass by Sutil. The German driver described the event as unintentional, but was given an 18-month suspended sentence and ordered to pay a €200,000 fine, which was donated to charity. Sutil was replaced by Nico Hulkenberg at Force India for the 2012 season, but returned to the team in 2013 before going on to race with Sauber in 2014. And we finish today's podcast with who other than Mr Bernard Eccleston. That's right, Bernie's back and he's got stuff to say. Speaking on this day in 2004, he said that that season's race at Imola would be the last San Marino Grand Prix, claiming that it would vanish from the calendar in 2005. As it turned out, Imola stayed on the calendar for two more years before disappearing ahead of the 2007 season. But what about the future of Silverstone, Bernie? Well, he's glad you asked. He says, I don't see a future for Silverstone, which is like an old house that says it only needs a few renovations. Well, 15 years later and that old house is still on the calendar, Bernard. It's even had a few renovations. He went on to say, Believe me, in the next 10 years, Europe will slide down to the level of the third world in economic terms. It doesn't have the slightest chance of competing with China, South Korea and India. The guy was obsessed with Europe becoming third world. It still isn't. Not even second world, actually. Ah, it's always good to end the podcast on a good Bernie story. That's your lot for this week's episode of F1 Rewind. I hope you've enjoyed this week's blast from the past. As always, I'll be back next Friday with even more tales from the F1 treasure trove. Have a good week, and I'll see you then. Goodbye.